Okay, great, great, great. Alright. So this is a calculate hey, by the way, there's a lot of uh, nice Mac apps that I have to recommend to you. <laughs> like this one Numi, right? It, it actually you can actually just type like twenty times ten, right? So you you can type out the calculations as opposed to relying on a standard calculator, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty cool. Let's <laughs> see, I need use PC so I'm not used to all this though. Sorry? I need use I need use PC, but I got my little ThinkPad. Oh, oh, you don't have a Mac. All right, no, right. Okay, no. okay. That's what I was like. Oh, that's too bad. I, I thought <laughs> I thought we were the Mac family. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm the only one that doesn't use Mac. Isn't everyone else you, Clayton, and yeah, Michael now? I think all Mac, are you? Yes, everyone is using Mac right now. Yeah, except me. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, well. Um, oh. Let, me just, let me just see if there's any... Because, okay, I, I don't want to switch screens because... All my private stuff is on this screen. <laughs> uh, gotcha. yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. wait. Let me see if I can open this. And like, yeah, have yeah. All right, that's great. One. But I already have this on my blog, so it's. Do I? Yeah, yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, okay, and the uh, annual report as well. Fine. Okay, let, just let this enemy report load and I think we can start already. Yeah. <coughs> wow, there's a storm going outside, man. What is it, monsoon or something? I don't think so, but it's not uncommon. I can really see the black clouds swirling. You know, it's kind of scary. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like uh, it's like coming into wet season for you guys, isn't it? It's not quite. It's it's coming what? Coming into wet season for you guys. Uh, we are we have tropical we're tropical, so we have wet season all around. I don't yeah. know if the wet season is worse during particular periods, but I would imagine. I always not. thought it was worse, like December, you know. Not necessarily. Not in Malaysia oh. at least, right? So, um, yeah. we do have a hay season when uh, in oh, Indonesia burns. Right, yeah, burns their thing. But um, aside from that, I, I think we're actually pretty okay. We don't really have yeah. a season, weather season, right? Yeah. Okay, let me just... It's, wait, it's, it's taking a long time to load. <laughs> ah, okay. I'm opening two PDFs because um, that For different points. Yes, that's right. Come on. Okay. This one. So, do you know how to do fade in and fade out? I mean, I'm just wondering. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> So, so when when we go to the bathroom, you're just gonna snip it, right? It's just yeah, gonna basically. be an outward pause. Okay, okay. Uh, um, like I don't even have any video editing software. Do I have? <laughs> yeah, it's what, fine. It's fine. Basic. We'll we we'll try to keep the toilet breaks to a minimum. Um, yeah, no, that's alright. Yeah. Don't stress. Like it, to be honest, is it really the end of the world if we just cut? Like you know. What I mean? Yeah, it's so, not. It's not. No, well, I I'm, mean if. Like, sorry. Also, no, keep on. No, I mean, if it's very often, like 10 times in one hour, then obviously it'll be over, right? <laughs> but if it's just like twice or three times, I guess it's fine. Right? Okay. Um, let me see. Anything else? Anything else? I'm just trying to anticipate. Okay. Um, I, I, I think we're good. Uh, we'll, we'll mostly rely on my blog, right? So, yeah. and the Excel form. But aside from that, I think we're good to go. All right. I think maybe I should just go to the bathroom one more time. Just to empty it. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, sorry. Maybe you can go to.
Okay, so just remember if there's an awkward, any sort of power pause, it means that um, that that we're a pause. Uh, I I'm trying to get a toilet break or something, right? Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, I should. Hopefully, I'll pick up on it because sometimes yeah, I I've been having. I really, I don't know sometimes if it's my Zoom or the guest Zoom when the internet's like not great. Sometimes the screen just freezes. Okay. But like I haven't had any freezes for you so far, but some other people, it's been bad. You know what I mean? But so I think that's okay. more literally their internet. All right. So so with an audio, you can actually cut it out, right? With a what? With an audio podcast. Yeah, exactly. I or see. like, oh no, like I mean, like freezes in um. Like, it's just the screen freezes. So sometimes it gets awkward because, like, yeah, you can cut out the awkward. It's, it's icky. But yeah, because like, they're frozen and I hear nothing. I'm like, are you frozen? Or stop talking? Like, yeah. yeah. But if there's anything, you can use WhatsApp to just contact me. Yeah. <coughs> uh, okay. Wait a second. Yeah, so uh, we'll do the awkward pause. Let's practice it one time. Okay, then we start. One, two, three. Thanks for being here today. This is something new for me, I guess, and something new for you too. Diving deep on China Evergrande, which is so hot right now. But um, <laughs> maybe a good place to start is just how did they get into this mess? And yeah, what, what got you interested in all of it? Yeah, so um, I mean, what got me interested is quite basic, right? Everyone's interested in Evergrande. It's, it's so hot right now. So uh, basically what I wanted to do was, I read a lot about it in the news and uh, at first, it didn't really catch my attention, but the more I read about it in the news, the more I realized that there were a lot of similarities with a Malaysian company that I analyzed a few months ago. Uh, for instance, um, uh, that Malaysian company had a lot of debt, so it was also due to uh, redeem its debt in 12 months. And also, uh, it, was, uh, it was an EPCC oil and gas company, so the revenues were also recognized based on the percentage of competition method. And there were also uh, similar signs of other financial risk involved. So naturally, when I heard about these uh, financial indicators on Evergrande, I uh, also got uh, interested. And I decided I wanted to sort of understand where the news was coming from. And this resulted in my article, which you can read on my blog, uh, valueinvesting.substack.com. And uh, yeah, I guess I'll just take you through it. Yeah, good work. Okay, great. <laughs> So, all right, so uh, with Evergrande, I guess there, there are many, um, you can actually read this on my blog, there are many uh, angles from which the news headlines are coming from. So just to give those uninitiated a little bit of context, um, basically they were due to default on their debts, and in fact they have already not paid their coupon uh, on one of their uh, debts on September 23. And the next one due is on September 29. If I'm not wrong, uh, currently the yield is around has dropped has has risen to about uh, I, I can't remember what the yield is but I remember that on par the the price of the bond has dropped to about 20 to par which means an 80% collapse from par so if you're a current bond holder uh, it's something to note right and um, basically uh, if you've been following the news, uh, what's been in the headlines is uh, retail wealth management product, so WMP investors in China, they've stormed the uh, Evergrande headquarters and uh, demand, they, they, they've been protests, right, so far. So, um, and also uh, Evergrande has tried to uh, repay its debts by exchanging the liabilities for unbuilt properties. So one of the uh, major uh, complaints about, Everbe uh, about uh, Evergrande by the China Perma Bears over the past few years is that they have these ghost cities where they build an extended amount of uh, properties which just don't have anyone living in them. So right, uh, some of them are unbuilt and they're trying to offer these unbuilt, yet unbuilt and to be built properties in exchange for the liabilities. So uh it, it's not a good look right and uh in essence you could sort of say that uh there are some among the investing circles who claim that Evergrande grant is running a ponzi scheme right so if you don't know what a ponzi scheme is basically where you don't really have a business but you uh, rely on new investor money to repay your old investors 
So when you so basically it's it's a it's a it's a fraud, right? And I was interested to find out through its numbers whether this was true or not, whether there was any truth to the assertion that they were a Ponzi scheme, which is where it all started from, right? So what that's what my uh, article is about, and basically, uh, for the first half of this video, I'm just going to try and uh, take you through uh, whether or not Evergrande is a Ponzi scheme, right? To set the context for what might come later. Sure. All right. So um. Okay, so the way the Evergrande Ponzi scheme might work is that uh, first of all, Evergrande starts by borrowing a certain amount to buy a house, right? Sorry, to build a house. So uh, once the house, is, once they have uh, borrowed the money and started building, uh, typically what uh, Asian property development companies do is to pre-sell the house. So before the house is even built, the buyer, the home buyer can already buy the house and uh, sort of secure the, the lot of land, right? Uh, and what Evergrande is uh, accused of doing is taking that money and then uh, using it as collateral to borrow even more money, right? And with that borrowed money, they will build a second house and then they just rinse and repeat. So that's where the, the accusation of it being a Ponzi scheme is coming from. Uh, because if you don't... Because the question here is, if you use that new money borrowed to build a second house, how are you going to pay back the borrowings for the for the first house, right? So um, that's where I guess the perma bears are coming from when they say that uh, Evergrande is a Ponzi scheme. So I was just trying to find out, you know, where the, whether this was true or not. So uh, you can go to my blog, right? I have a thirty thousand feet view of the financial statistics of Evergrande on my blog, and I'm just going to you know pause it here for a couple of seconds so you can sort of see it. So this this one is the top one is 2014-2020 and the bottom one is 2008-2013. Alright. So uh so yeah, I'll just go through them. So the very first thing that will catch your eye is the inventory days, right? So uh in inventory days is uh according to this is about four years. <laughs> so that means that basically they need to liquid they, they take about four years to liquidate their uh, inventory. So it, to draw a comparison, it will you can imagine. Let's say if you were to sell a bubble tea shop, right? So in a bubble tea shop, your inventory will be boba, right? So it will be like buying four years worth of boba ahead of time, right? <laughs> and then only selling them, right? So uh, it's a bit concerning to say the least. And then payable days are are three years. <coughs> so payable days are the number of days it takes you to sell your um sorry to to repay your suppliers right so you'll be buying the boba for your suppliers right so you, you buy four years worth of boba and then you take three years to repay your suppliers that's what evergreen is basically is doing right so this is uh right immediately very obvious and it catches will, will catch any financial at least uh uh attention so um i'll i'll start by addressing the payable days first Oh, hold on, sorry. I'll start by addressing inventory days first. So the inventory days are uh, quite... They're, they're already self-explanatory because uh, it's in the news that Evergrande is not... Uh, it's not it's, build, it's overbuilding its properties and they're not really selling them, right? So, uh, yeah. So you can go to my blog here. This is the accounting definition of it. And we can see that they're using the lower of cost and net realizable value. And uh, they're actually accounting for it based on net realizable value over here. This is the key audit methods by the auditor. Uh, and the what is uh, the definition of property and development will be anything not realized in sorry anything that I is realized in one normal operating cycle. So just to explain, uh, inventories includes these three line items: inventories properties under development and completed properties held for sale so uh, properties under uh, sorry properties under development are the basically the worst offender here right all right so um, yeah but but this this one is a bit it's already quite obvious because it's in the news right that they have a lot of ghost towns uh, in fact I have an interesting uh, pictures for you right so there is a very famous uh, Hong Kong based uh, uh, short, short analyst, right? Called GMT Research, 
So they actually did this report in 2017 and you can see pictures, right? And rows of rows of uh, unfinished properties or just vacant properties that have been completed, right? And, and it's, it's astounding that a company in size of Evergrande can get away with this because, uh, right? Um, it's globally recognized, it's globally observed, right? By the financial, the mar global markets. So yeah, these are just a few examples of what they've been doing and uh, many uh, perma bears like cow bears have also brought up the same concerns. So I guess this is, uh, you know, put the proof of the pudding, right? Uh, Alright, so that's the inventory days. So the more interesting one, uh, that explains why they have four years worth of inventory days, right? So the more interesting thing that hasn't really been covered in the news is the payable days. So, right, uh, just as a reminder, their payable days are, uh, right, it's about roughly three years, right, which means they're taking three years to pay their suppliers. And this can be explained by um, a Bloomberg article. So in the Bloomberg article here, Right, uh, you can you can go you can you can go to my blog and find it. So um, basically, what's happening is that uh, they have they are not not only are they not paying their suppliers, but it seems like they are actually borrowing from them, right? So uh, that strikes you as very weird, right? So the the assertion that they are borrowing from them actually came from this Bloomberg article, which you can go find yourself. So what ha what ha what uh, Evergrande is uh, accused of doing is basically because of the three red line policy that uh, the delivering deleveraging policy that was announced in August of twenty twenty last year by Chinese regulators, uh, they were forced to reduce their debt, and as of late June twenty twenty one this year, they actually managed to uh, meet the one of the three red lines, which was to reduce the debt below a certain debt threshold. But at the same time, their payables increase by an equal amount. So uh, this sort of implies that they are actually not actually reducing their debt because on one hand, they're reducing their debt, their, their, their vanilla borrowings. On the other hand, they're increasing their payables, which represents debt from suppliers. So how are they representing debt from suppliers? Um, it, they're, they're, they actually call it commercial bills. So uh, commercial bills are basically uh, short-term debt, right? So it's like debt which is three, one, probably one month to three months, I guess, right? Uh, they are borrowed. They, they are typically issued for working capital purposes. So uh, they are issuing, rather than paying their suppliers, they are issuing commercial bills to their suppliers uh, uh, in lieu of payment. Which means they're basically borrowing from suppliers, right? And uh, there are some stories here which are quite uh, shocking. So um, some of them include uh, offering sweeteners. So, right, they, they top it up. So here's the, the commercial bill section. And they top it up sweeteners. For instance, they will roll over the debt and compound the interest rate. And uh, because Evergrande's commercial bills are tradable on the market, right? They are very liquid. Suppliers actually. Uh, do not necessarily have concerns about accepting uh, accepting commercial bills because they can actually just liquidate it to someone else on the market. And uh, I'm not, I haven't actually checked what the spread is between par and the actual market price of those commercial bills. But the implication is that they are trading below par, and therefore they're not that attractive, right? Because of the perception of financial risk, right? Uh, direct credit risk. So. Uh, I actually tried to look for the the proof of these commercial bills existing on Evergrande's balance sheet, but um, uh, unfortunately I wasn't able to because they weren't disclosed. Uh, I can show you the notes here. So uh, trade payables, right? These are the the, the composition of trade payables in the in the notes twenty six of the uh, FY twenty annual report. And uh, you can see that the only outstanding one is this one, 621.75, right? Which is the large amount. So um, on note C, right, uh, th there's just an aging analysis. So there's not really much to go by. So I can't actually prove that these are commercial bills, right? Uh, made to suppliers. But we can, if, if the Bloomberg article is correct, then we can sort of assume that's right. 
Uh, but the more interesting one is this one. So in the same node 26, we can see that there are uh, node A. So what node A is, is this non-controlling interest. And the amount isn't very, very big. So it actually wouldn't grab your attention at first glance, right? But if you go on to read, right? It, it, uh, node A says that it includes cash advances from non-controlling interest of 2.6 uh, billion, 2.6 billion yuan, which bear an average interest rate at 15% per annum, right? So, uh, first of all, 2.6 billion yuan, that's a lot more than um, 13 million yuan, right? And second of all, the interest rate is 15% annualized, which is extremely high. So, <coughs> just to give you a perspective, uh, and financials microloans, which are made, uh, which are basically short-term loans made, sorry, which are basically unsecured short-term loans made to subprime borrowers, right? Because typically, the people who take microloans from N Financial are using it to buy an iPhone on a single day, right? And they're typically either students or, or, or newly fresh graduates. They don't really have a long uh, credit history, right? So um, those are about 12% per annum. Right, this one is even higher than that, which reflects that the borrower, the, the borrower of these uh, cash advances, quote unquote, uh, are actually perceived these uh, these cash advances as having very high credit risk, right? Um, so fifteen percent per annum, yeah. So um, uh, right. Uh, if you go to M Financial's prospectus before the IPO was cancelled last year, you'll find this uh, heading called Unconsolidated Structured Entities, which was uh, also treated in a similar way. So we call these things off-balance sheet liabilities, which was basically what happened to Enron, right? They had a lot of off-balance sheet liabilities, but at the time, uh, the accounting standards did not require them to disclose them. So since and because of Enron, rather, uh, right now, you have to disclose off-balance sheet liabilities in this manner, even though you don't actually put them or into the headline numbers of the balance sheet. So, um, you can actually read my article and uh, why M Financial Cycle was put on my blog. But uh, going back to Evergrande, uh, we, we, we want to sort of uh, understand where they might be coming from. So, uh, there are actually two articles here which uh, explain possible um, possible uh, sources of these cash advances from 15%. So the first one is that Evergrande was reported in the New York Times to the management has uh, was allegedly uh, accused of pressuring workers to lend them cash or lose their bonus. Right. So this is your typical office politics, I guess, right? Where uh, upper management places undue pressure on uh, employees to do certain things that's good for the company and in this case it's actually lending them money right <laughs> so uh, not a good sign the second one is on this article by Nikkei Asia so um, uh, okay so before it loads maybe I'll just go through it so uh, what they actually asked so this this New York Times article was about lending asking rank and file employees to lend money to Evergrande right this one, on the other hand, was asked, uh, the one for Nikkei Asia, was asking high-ranking uh, executives to lend money to Evergrande. And the way they did it is through a WMP investment, a wealth management product. So they call them uh, Chao Chao Bao. In, in Mandarin, it roughly equates to uh, ultra-high-yield treasure, right? So Nikkei calls it super-written treasure. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> right? So basically, it's, it's, it's like playing a game, right? <laughs> And uh, they promised twenty five percent annual interest, so right uh, with the minimum investment being three million yuan, uh, right before uh, the their lender, uh, their bank lender, China Citic Bank in Shenzhen, uh, required you know uh, more um, how do I say executive collateral before I would lend them money. So it was basically building up executive collateral this way, and uh, also again the implications are that uh, upper management pressured. Uh, uh, executives to do so so and, and 3 million yuan isn't a small amount of money right it's something like uh, divide by 7 that's like 400,000 USD so not a small amount of money and um, uh, that could be one of the sources of uh, 
the 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 probably the, the the alleged cash advances from non-controlling interests, because what these non-controlling interests represent are, um, are uh, okay, uh, perhaps not non-controlling interests in this particular context, but this one could be subsidiaries or associates, where related companies under Evergrande, who are not consolidated, uh, under their balance sheet will issue these Chao Chao Bao uh, WMPs, right? As well as to the executives, as well as to retail investors. And then they will funnel up, the dividend up the, the money to the parent company. So um, um, if it's an associate, it's, rec it's accounted for under the equity method of accounting. And you just, uh, there will be both a an, uh, an, uh, liability when you issue the Chao Chao Bao, and there'll be an asset when you get the cash from the, the, the WMP investors. So they net each other off. And at Evergrande parent company level, the balance sheet will not actually show an increase in uh, in, in uh, liabilities, right? Or a, a ticking of that because it's a netting off effect. Uh, where this, so um, not sure if, yeah, right. So this one is uh, an article originally on Chai Sing and uh, later on reproduced on Nikkei Asia. So you can go read through it. It's very, gory to say the least right and um, the other thing that could be happening is also from Nikkei Asia right so uh, this, this this quoted area the blue line is actually lifted straight from this article you can go and find it so basically what they're saying is that um, okay so uh, what they're saying is that Evergrande doesn't actually borrow that uh, directly right what it will do to in order to fund its development projects what it will do is that it will ask its suppliers or its related parties for instance associates i mentioned earlier to participate in it on its behalf and uh and basically just you know um avoid the balance sheet impact of it so it's an off balance sheet uh both asset and liability right you don't actually see it as a investor of the parent company and um so, uh, with respect to this, these cash advances from non-controlling interest of 2.6 billion, keeping in mind that 2.6 billion is a large amount of money, right? Uh, what? <coughs> so, I'll just, <coughs> sorry. I'll just go into the last part example given here. So, um, okay, so Evergrande basically sold equities in its subsidiaries. Uh, for instance, it's Fangche Bao uh, subsidiary, which is a car online home and car sales platform to its uh, strategic investors, right? Or suppliers or whatever, it's related party. And promise, right, to buy it back. So, um, let me just see. Uh, yeah, promise to buy it back the stakes if certain milestones cannot be reached, right? So it's basically, uh, you scratch my back, I scratch yours kind of arrangement. And uh, if it cannot, if if the Feng Chebao can does not complete an additional public offering on NASDAQ within 12 months after the completion of the stake sale, unit is required to purchase the stake at a 15% premium, right? So this sort of offsets the risk, assuming Evergrande doesn't go entirely bankrupt, right? So, uh, so uh, and also apparently they've been sued, right? So the small pro dozens of property companies have been sued by Ever uh, sued Evergrande, demanding cancellation of these equity sales agreements. Because Evergrande failed to pay them, right? Uh, Evergrande usually paid them thirty percent down for equities, but they kind of pay the rest even after the project was completed. So it's very reminiscent of what the China Puma Bears are saying, where there's not only accounting fraud going on, but uh, lack of corporate good corporate governance, as well as um, account uh, um, uh, yeah, bad for China basically, right? So uh, a plaintiff lawyer told Chai Sing, yeah, all right, so. Uh, so these are just what's reported on the news, but with respect to this particular context, cash advances from non-culturing interests, how this could work, right? Uh, so in a, uh, I'll, I'll just uh, sink into this accounting treatment for a, a minute. Basically, if you're doing a joint venture, you, uh, you, you, you account for it based on the equity method, same as associates. So you don't actually need to if there's any uh, liability and asset at the same time, right, that nets each other off, it doesn't actually appear on the parent's balance sheet. So as a result, uh, what Evergrande would do is take small stakes in its JV. So I'm going to uh, offer a tinfoil theory which might explain why these cash advances from non-contrary interests occur. Uh, 
right? So this is not uh, proven, but it could explain something that might possibly uh, why this might be the case. So uh, what could happen is that the joint venture would de jure uh, support the development project of Evergrande, but it will be actually de be de facto worked on by Evergrande. So it's actually Evergrande's project, but the supplier because of um, Guanxi, right, which is basically good relations in China, in, in China, which is very important in China when doing business, the supplier will offer to fund the capex of the JV's development project. <coughs> so let's say Evergrande wants to build a new development project in I I'm not sure. Let's say uh, Chongqing, right? So uh, they will go to a Chongqing developer and ask the developer to fund the capex to basically build the, the, the JV with Evergrande only owning a small snake in that particular development project, right? So on, uh, so on Evergrande's balance sheet, because it's only owning a small snake in the project, it will only, only a small amount of it will appear. Let's say 5% of it or 10% of it, right? You only have a small amount appear. But accounting rules, right? Uh, which, uh, yeah, accounting rules uh, of China as well requires them to disclose these liabilities uh, in, in the notes. So while it may not actually appear on the balance sheet, you do actually find them in the notes, which might explain the significant difference between 2.6 billion here and the reported 13 million here. Hey, wait, this is 13 billion. Okay, right. So um, as a result, uh, these cash advances could... So the KPEX will be funded by the JV and then Evergrande will only own a stake in it. And then the capex would, and then once the project will be completed, the JV could be fully acquired by Evergrande. So basically, the development project happens on the balance sheet of the, of the the supplier, right? And it it holds all the risk, right? In exchange for that, uh, fifteen percent, uh, right? That fifteen percent interest rate and, uh, requirement to repurchase the shares. And then, uh, so it's it is. Uh, no risk to the supplier and then once the project is completed Evergrande would then acquire the equity stakes of the equity of the development project in full right which which means it basically pays off the supplier and when you do that you actually net off the cost of the capex as well as the cash collection from the project at the same time right so which ex which might explain why uh, so over here you can see that they say they have collected uh, 653 billion yuan in cash collection for 2020, despite the fact that their cash on hand is not very high and they are they're actually facing problems repaying their debt, right? So um, right here, cash collection ratio for is 90%. So as a result, um, uh, if you were to collect the cash at the same time that you pay the capex, then both of those will net off, right? Which means that the cash doesn't actually appear on Evergrande's balance sheet. So that might be what is going on, which results in them not actually having enough cash to pay their uh, their debt, their bondholders. So I'm not, again, I'm not saying this is true, but uh, this is an example of what could be going on. Uh, then, right? And um, so this is uh, brings to the end of payable days. The next... Uh, questionable uh, situation is their operating cash flows and their free cash flows. So uh, just as a caveat, uh, I'm using, I'm treating operating cash flows and free cash flows as equal in my current analysis because uh, their depreciation is negligible and free cash flows are just operating cash flow less depreciation. So as you can see, they have been consistently unprofitable for the longest time, right? Um, if I were to show you the earlier years, um, yeah, you can see that in 2014 and 2020, they have been uh, negative operating cash flow for all except two years. And from listing of 2008 to 2013, they were negative operating cash flow for uh, all except one year. So it's basically 10 years of negative operating cash flow. This is confusing because they have been consistently profitable since listing, right? Look, so you can see here as well as here. So um, the question begs, why is there this disparity? Because uh, operating cash flows and net profit are supposed to reconcile over long periods of time. Right? There's only supposed to be timing differences between 
your operating cash flow as well as your uh, net profits. So if one of the uh, easiest way to spot fraud is if there is a persistent disparity between uh, net profits and operating cash flow, right? It's one of the first things we look for. So, um, uh, right, okay. Uh, okay, just to digress a little bit, they actually report, uh, this is the way they report their, their cash flow statements. They are operating cash flow on the cash flow statements. So I can show you. Uh, they have cash flow operating activities, right? Net cash generated from operations. And then this is the OCF. So the OCF section of the headline cash flow statement is this short, right? Whereas everything else is hidden in the notes. So you can actually see the notes here, right? So, um, yeah. <laughs> I, I've never seen a company do this before. Maybe I just haven't analyzed enough Chinese companies, but uh, it's a bit... It strikes me as a little bit weird, okay? I, no US company or uh, Malaysian company I've seen have done, has done this. <coughs> and, uh, but but uh, regardless of that, we can see, right? So the reason for their positive, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> uh, operating cash flow in 2020 last year was because of um, this one. Train other payable, so it's a working capital adjustment, which means they're basically deferred payments to suppliers, right? <laughs> Again, a red flag, and then uh, it's the same thing for twenty eighteen, and it's the same thing for two thousand and nine, which means X, right? Uh, these uh supplier uh deferral uh supplier payment deferrals, they've actually never been positive operating cash flow since their listing. Okay, that's how <laughs> striking it is. And um, okay, so we can actually uh, derive the reason for it. So if we go back to the operating cash flow, the bulk of the reason for their consistent uh, net, sorry, their consistent negative operating cash flow over time is because of interest paid, right? You can see interest paid here is uh, of last year it was sixty six million, so it's almost all of the negative OCF. In twenty twenty they had seventy eight million, but they had uh, more NCGFO. Right, so it's the same story for every single year, right? It's all because of interest paid, so um, you can yeah, as you can see here, right? So is this is the main reason why they are, uh, negative OCF since they are listing, and um, if you go into the notes, you can see uh, this is a bit weird because, right? Their finance costs are actually not that bad, right? And the interest paid, which is what we saw. Uh, yeah, here, here, as well as here, right? Interest paid. So these are cash interest paid out, uh, versus their cash expense, which is an accounting treatment, right? Accounting expense recorded on the profit and loss statement. This is thirty four point eight times, right? The cash interest paid is thirty four point eight times of the interest ex the accounting interest expense, and even though twenty twenty was an outlier, it's the same story. Um, for you know all the other years in the recent past, so this is two hundred ninety percent, right? It's not two point nine percent, three hundred eighty percent, six hundred eighty percent, and so on and so on. So there's a huge disparity again between cash interest paid and accounting interest expense, and this can be explained by uh, capitalized interest expense. So where capitalized interest expense comes in is that um, we it can actually so uh, capitalized interest expense is. Uh, legitimate when you are building uh, your own building, right? So you're borrowing money to build a building for you, let's say your own headquarters, right? You plan to keep owning the building into perpetuity. And uh, the interest expense incurred to build to building uh, can actually be capitalized into the asset side of that building. So the reason being that uh, those borrowing costs are actually justifiable as part of the uh, actual building costs so therefore uh, you can capitalize those interests but keeping in mind that Evergrande isn't building its own building for its own use it's reselling those properties right which begs the question is this uh, capitalized interest uh, legitimate or not is the accounting treatment legitimate or not and uh, you can just go to my blog you can see that right um, it's 9.46% uh, interest rate and according to this uh, PwC report, which you can find on my blog, uh, yes, interest capitalized can be actually for inventory. 
inventory is basically what Evergrande's houses are, right? Can actually be allowed if the production cycle takes a substantial period of time. So there's actually nothing fishy going on here. But the fact remains that uh, they are building so many inventories that the capitalized interest alone is enough to wipe out all their OCF. Okay, so that's uh, very, very bad, <laughs> right? If you're an equity investor. So keeping in mind that this is not the principal borrowing of the loan that you are taking to fund the construction of the, of the houses you are building, right? The inventory. This is just the interest expense on the loan. So what is the principal amount of the borrowings on the int capitalized interest? If you take the capital interest of 69.462, oh sorry, here, 169.772, right? And you divide that by 9.46%, so 0.0946. You end up with the astounding figure of uh, nearly 1.8 trillion, right? Uh, Renminbi or Yuan. 1.8 trillion, let me repeat that. That's 277 billion US dollars, okay? And this is just the loan taken to construct your inventory, right? <laughs> it's not even, uh, right? I mean, I mean, it's a, it's a bit worrisome, okay, to say the least. So the, the conclusion is that um, they are definitely overbuilding. They are building to an excessive amount, which is also evident in their inventory days. So, right, again, let me just show you inventory days. It's four years. It's been consistently three to four years. That, that, that is, uh, just for reference, um, the typical low performance baseline for the property development industry is about 90 days after completion. So if you don't get to sell your, uh, your inventory within three months, the government requires you to, uh, to recognize it as an overhang unit. Right, overhang is actually an, uh, an industry term, which means you don't sell, you, you aren't able to sell your event, your uh, housing inventory post completion, uh, 90 days post completion. So this is not just 90 days, this is 1,335 days. <laughs> right? It's not three months, it's three years. So a bit worrisome, just a bit worrisome. And uh, <laughs> so, um, uh, if you have and and the thing is this right, uh, their balance sheet, the entire total liabilities on the balance sheet is only one point nine five trillion. Okay, this is all liabilities on their all on their entire balance sheet, and their total borrowings are only seven hundred and seventeen billion, right? <laughs> so to get one point eight trillion, you'd have to basically you know it is basically all of total liabilities right. And I'm guessing that because it far exceeds uh, the amount of total borrowings, it should be coming from those trade payables with third parties as well as cash advances from non-constrained interest, right? Uh, which explains why, which, which basically say, me, if this is true, it basically implies that they have not read, met the three red lines yet, okay? The three red lines, uh, one of the three red lines requirement, which is to reduce your debt to equity ratio below a certain threshold. So uh, let's just sum everything up that we've discussed up. Is Evergrande a Ponzi scheme? I would say no, because their receivable days are actually low. So, right, you can actually see their receivable days are actually very acceptable uh, relative to the inventory days at least. <laughs> so, which means they're actually liquidating those uh, inventories on a, on a reasonable basis. And the reason for this is probably because they engage in pre-sales, right? As I said, Asian property development companies, they normally pre-sell their uh, receivable, uh, sorry, their inventory. So uh, the moment you can recognize revenue, you've uh, technically you've already collected cash on day one, which means that you shouldn't have any receivable list, and that's reflected on uh, Evergrande's actual balance sheet. So uh, because of that, they're actually making sales, legitimate sales, and uh, it, it would be wrong to say that they're a Ponzi scheme because a Ponzi scheme implies that you don't have any sales and you're just recycling investor money from new to old, right? So uh, the classical... Uh, interpretation of a Ponzi scheme is that once the new investors stop coming in, you aren't able to pay your own investors anymore and the whole house of cards collapses. So even though uh, Evergrande is not a Ponzi scheme, they do have similarities uh, with this particular trade, right? Because what happens, what I'm thinking is happening, so again, let me um, regurgitate what the, the, the Perma Bears are claiming Evergrande is. They're saying that Evergrande starts by borrowing to build the first house, and then they pre-sell the house, use the cash incoming from the pre-sale as collateral to, to borrow again. 
and then use that borrowing to fund the second house, right? Which uh, if you can't pay back, mean uh, means you're a Ponzi scheme. But um, what they're doing is that they actually do pay back the first guy, the first borrower, sorry, the first lender to build the first house, but only three to four years later, right? <laughs> Which means that in the meantime, they will do, they will rely on the new investor to repay the old investor. So while it's not an actual Ponzi scheme, it does have similarities to that. And uh, it's not a Ponzi scheme, but it is an overbuilding issue because without this overbuilding issue, they would actually not have to work, not have this, not be in this conundrum, right? Uh, and just to sum everything up, um, the reason why they're in this particular scenario today to begin with, where they cannot actually pay their, uh, their, 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 their lenders, right? Their bank lenders as well as their bondholders is because of this, right? It's not because they don't have enough uh, inventory on hand, valuable inventory, that they can actually liquidate to repay these uh, creditors. The problem is that they cannot liquidate on time because they have, as you can imagine, land assets, they're not very, uh, they're not very liquid. To process an orderly liquidation of land assets will probably take the better part of one year at least. And those coupons are coming in now, right? So if they were to do a fire sale to release them at 50% of book value, um, you know, they probably won't be able to pay the debts. So the problem isn't necessarily a solvency issue, right? It's actually a liquidity issue, right? They actually do have the ability, the, 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 the net worth to repay their debts, but they aren't able to liquidate those assets fast enough to be able to um, um, pay back those debts right now. And that is the, 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 the crux of the problem. So that's the summary of this uh, article. Yeah, so I think probably fair to say that they're up shit creek at the moment, for, for lack of a better term. But do you think Evergrande will get bailed out and maybe what that might look like, maybe? Yeah, sure. So, um, um, yeah. So, in my view, okay, to answer this question is a little bit, we, we need to sink a little bit into understanding the economic structure of China's economy at the moment. So China's economy very much resembles uh, the, the Japan's economy pre-1989, before the last decade, as well as 1929 USA, right? Before the Great Depression. Basically what happened was that the corporate sector was uh, severely over leveraged and uh, many, uh, many might uh, claim that China's government debt to GDP is nowhere near the developed economies today. Right, it's probably something around 60% or 80%, right? Versus over 100% for US, over 100% for the entirety of <coughs> the, the Euro, as well as or nearly 300% for Japan. So from that lens, government debt to GDP of China is not that bad. But keeping in mind that uh, China's government as a communist government actually has a say in every large listed company's uh, finances, right? So... Uh, it's no secret that in 2008, post the global financial crisis, the entire world economy was saved by Chinese corporates taking on large amounts of debt. So for instance, the SOE corporates, as well as uh, generally the large listed companies of China, right, to sort of re-stimulate the entire global economy. So uh, this is something I will, uh, it's a hill I will, I'm willing to die on in the sense that uh, corporate debt to GDP of China equals to government debt to GDP of China. And if you look at entire systemic debt of GDP to China, it's over, it's, it's I think, 300%, right, roughly. So less 60% household debt to GDP, that's 240% uh, debt to GDP for corporate plus government, right? Versus, uh, versus Japan's 270% government debt to GDP. So it's right there, right? Which means that there is a possibility that uh, uh, a repeat of Japan happens in uh, in China today, right? Which means three lost decades. So what happened with Japan is basically they uh, they allowed the bubble to climb too much to the point where the, the economic framework of the wider economy is so fragile that the pinprick of the bubble, uh, which burst the bubble, uh, uh, basically wiped out the, 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 the positive confidence of the economy right so it's basically your business confidence investor confidence everything right for instance if you're seeing a recession 
uh, coming, as a business, you probably want to hot cash rather than invest, right? And that's detrimental to GDP. So, uh, what happened in Japan post-1989 was that these, uh, in, under Keynesian economics, we call these things animal spirits because they aren't quantifiable by data. These animal spirits became so depressed that the entire world just did not want to invest in Japan anymore, as evidenced by the fact that there's an asset class called Ajax Japan, right? So uh, the animal spirits in Japan just never recovered. And as a result, confidence never recovered. Nobody wanted to invest in Japan. Nobody wanted to do business in Japan or take risks in Japan. And they have had deflation for the past three years, right? Or, or, or roughly so. Oh, sorry, past 30 years, <laughs> three decades. And this uh, is similar with the USA in 1929. So I'm not going to go into it, but basically what happened in 1929 in the USA is that it's the same thing. Uh, except that the government uh, did not do any quantitative easing. They did not support the economy in the US at the time, which led to a 10-year Great Depression, saved only by the war economy, right? Because America was basically spared from World War II. So uh, China is basically staring off the edge of that waterfall right now, the economic waterfall. And um, it actually has uh, the same, it's actually facing the same financial risks. And what you want to do as a policymaker, policymaker being the government and the central bank, is to deleverage, which means to reduce the debt, to reduce the financial risk on the fundamental side of things. And at the same time, do not depress the animal spirits. So you want to keep the confidence intact so that when you manage to fully deleverage, right, as Japan's corporate sector has already done right now, uh, the, the animal spirits will roll back and bring your economy back to life. So you don't want to kill them. You want to keep them alive while doing the deleveraging. So it's very it's public that, I mean, China's own government has been very public about wanting to deleverage, right? So I think there's nothing to dispute there. Uh, in the context of whether Evergrande will get bailed out, what I think is, uh, I, I think the answer will be no, right? Because, uh, again, bringing back to the con earlier context, China's government's uh, objective is to deleverage the economy. Uh, and at the same time, keep the animal spirits alive. So on the deleveraging side of things, which is the fundamental side of the economy, uh, it would actually be contradictory to the goal of uh, deleveraging the entire economy to allow Evergrande to survive. Uh, sorry, to, to build Evergrande out because Evergrande is not a contagion risk to the economy. So there are many talking heads right now drawing comparisons between Evergrande and uh, Lehman Brothers, right? And uh, I would actually say that Evergrande is not a Lehman Brothers uh, because what happened with Lehman Brothers was that it borrowed money to invest in subprime mortgages or derivatives of those and uh, those borrowers were other banks, right? Which also borrowed money to lend to Lehman and those borrowers on lended, right? So it's a chain of dominoes that the moment Lehman falls, all of them fall and uh, the entire system gets wiped out. So that's contagion risk. And in Evergrande's case, they don't actually have that kind of contagion risk because if they blow up, it's just Evergrande that blows up as well as all its stakeholders, right? So uh, it doesn't really create new uh, new financial risk the way nuclear fission does, right? So, you know, in the nuclear bomb, one neutron hits another neutron and it's a chain reaction, right? That's contagion risk. Whereas for Evergrande, it's like a gigantic uh, TNT mountain, right? That's blowing up. Uh, but it's not nuclear fission, right? It doesn't actually cause a chain reaction which uh, induces, it creates new, a new risk of its own. So it's not contagion risk, but it's just the sheer scale of Evergrande representing something at like 0.8% of China's GDP, as well as, uh, if I'm not wrong, 2% of... Uh, uh, its assets represents 2% of China's GDP, if I'm not wrong, right? So uh, 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 a collapse on that scale would be seismic it would uh, impact large, a large portion of China's economy. Uh, and, uh, but but it, it, it is not contagion risk, right? So it's the nature of the risk that is different, although the impact might actually end up being the same, right? But keeping in mind, because it's not contagion risk, the, the impact of an Evergrande collapse is mainly, uh, is mainly confined to China's economy. Right? You don't get foreign banks who, who are not exposed to Evergrande also collapsing. Right? It's just the, the, the Evergrande stakeholders who are going to collapse. 
And it's also relevant from a China economy perspective because um, the Chinese economy is highly exposed to to real estate sector, right? So uh, most middle-class Chinese will tend to think of uh, property investments as their bread and butter of wealth. And, uh, and uh, a depression of the real estate market in China can lead to consumer sentiment falling, right? And so on and so on. But I still think that the economic impact will be largely contained to China, right? Any foreign investors who do not have uh, a direct uh, stake in uh, Evergrande are only going to suffer indirectly through the wider global economy collapsing of, of that sort. So, okay, sorry. So back to your question, will they get bailed out? Uh, because there is no contagion risk, I don't think the policymakers will bail out Evergrande, right? So they bailed out Huarong because Huarong is a bank and it does have contagion risk. Do you see? Whereas Evergrande is a property developer, it will not. And to bail out Huarong was already going against the narrative of um, deleveraging the economy. To bail out Evergrande as well would further go against that, right? So they should actually prefer an orderly liquidation of Evergrande. So what I think will happen is that they will allow Evergrande to fail to in order to deleverage, to meet the deleveraging narrative, uh, objective. But at the same time, they will step in to keep the animal spirits alive. So you can see that right now, you know, they're actually experimenting, right? They're offering uh, to exchange liabilities for WMP investor liabilities for um, for unbuilt properties, right? And then when there's protest, they pull back, right? So they're trying to, then, then they say they want to, uh, CCP will actually step in and uh, handle the leverage, the 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 China that's right the Evergrande uh, deleveraging itself right so that's where they're trying to provide confidence to the market they're they're trying to avoid a sort of a bang run on the economy right by investors because it's one thing to let the economy fail uh sorry deleverage over time where you as an investor don't actually get your money back it's another thing for there to be a panic where you feel the need to liquidate your assets in a fire sale, right? And, and just kill all semblance of confidence in the economy. So that's what they're trying to avoid. So what I think is that what happens is that they will allow Evergrande to fail. At the same time, they will also uh, step in as and when it's needed to provide support. So that there's a smooth deleveraging or as Ray Dalio calls it, a beautiful deleveraging. Right, yeah. Maybe putting you on the spot here, but... Evergrande shares. What, what, what are your thoughts? Buying, selling, shorting. Uh, how do you how do you view it? I guess in terms of taking action as an investor. I guess like what do you think is the play? Maybe. All right. Sure. So uh, I'll answer this as Evergrande investor, which means both bond and uh, shares. So because it's a beautiful deleveraging, and okay, let's make a few assumptions. One is that the government, Chinese government successfully manages to uh, process a, a smooth deleveraging of the economy. And then the second assumption being that Evergrande actually fails. So it actually goes bust, right? Uh, the, uh, I would say that, and also the third assumption is that if I'm not wrong, uh, Evergrande's bonds are currently trading at 20 to par, right? Which means 20 cents to par, which means that uh, uh, you've already lost 80% of your principal as of right now. So, assuming that a smooth deleveraging occurs successfully, right, I think in all likelihood, you actually will get back, as a bondholder, you actually will get back your uh, principal, right, if not your interest, because um, Evergrande does not have a solvency crisis, right, it does not have a solvency issue, it actually does have the net worth to be able to pay back uh, its bondholders, over a long period of time, assuming they are able to process an orderly liquidation of its inventories and other assets, right? So uh, let me paint you a very short scenario. Let's assume that it takes five years for Evergrande to slowly liquidate all its inventories, right? At book value or even at 80% of book value. So using those uh, asset values, it will be able to repay uh, its bondholders. So obviously there will be restructuring involved. Uh, you're not going to get paid back tomorrow, right? You're going to be paid back through a court, right? Uh, five years down the road. 
But if the question is, will you get your money back? I think there's a high chance of it. Which, and, which means that buying Evergrande's bonds at 20, to par, 20 cents to par today might actually make sense from a risk-reward perspective. Keeping in mind, if you had bought the bonds at 100 cents to par, right, uh, you've already lost 80%, so what's another 20%, right? You might as well hold on to it. <laughs> Whereas if you're a new investor, uh, I would say the risk lies to the upside because they don't have a solvency issue, they have a liquidity issue. And if a smooth deleveraging occurs, right, if the CCP uh, can execute a smooth deleveraging and keep the animal spirits alive, which to be fair, I think they can, right? Um, there's actually a very high chance of uh, of Evergrande being able to liquidate its assets at close to book value and therefore paying back its creditors. So buying its bonds at 20 cents to par today actually can make sense. Obviously, there's also the risk that they don't actually manage to do that, right? So don't back up the truck on it. But as far as, uh, you know, if you were to compare buying airline stocks today, I would say that the risk is, the risk reward is similar, right? In the sense that it can actually go to zero, but the chance of uh, recovery is high enough uh, and uh, that if it goes back to par, you actually make double your money or maybe even triple your money, right? Keeping in mind that for, you need to double your money on 20 cents to par, it just needs to go 40 cents to par. So if you get 50 cents to par, you're actually making, what, um, 150%, right? <laughs> of your money. Now, what about Evergrande's shares? Okay, so I mean, I guess you already have the answer, right? If they're doing a smooth deleveraging and they're not bailing out Evergrande, and uh, all the assets that are going to be liquidated are going to be given to the bondholders, then your shares are going to be worthless, right? It's either going to be a chapter 11, a bankruptcy, or uh, you're going to own a shell of a company which owns no assets, right? <laughs> so as an Evergrande shareholder, I think there's no point, right? You can actually sell your shares today if you bought it earlier. And if you haven't bought them, don't buy them, <laughs> right? But um, as a bondholder, I think it does make sense from a risk-reward perspective. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, I, I'm stoked with this. Anything else you want to sort of mention about Evergrande or anything else you want to plug? Um, is there anything we haven't covered? Before we wrap up? Yeah, I, I think no. So if you want to get in touch with me, so visit my blog. So my blog is, uh, since it's a video, allow me the privilege of showing you. <laughs> so um, my blog is uh, valueinvesting.substack.com, right? So you can actually find my article here. I also talk about other things like US inflation. I have articles about N Financial. So uh, just let me show you. So, uh, you know, these, these are all my own personal thoughts and uh, right, uh, there. So, uh, am, on about Amazon, about uh, some interesting uh, uh, investing actionable uh, investing ideas today. So definitely reach out to me there. Uh, you can also find me on my LinkedIn here, or my Twitter, right? Uh, that I also have a sister blog called Substack News. So it's very investing to the Substack.com, right? And uh, I think uh, if you want to get more context on Evergrande itself, um, definitely go check out my uh, Evergrande article. Scroll all the way to the bottom, right? And you can visit these these uh, six links. So this one, Nikkei Asia, is the one I showed you just now. Uh, there's the GMT research one that I also showed you just now. Uh, there's, a, there's a very good macro uh, article by Mark, Michael Pertis of Peking University. He's an authority on China macro. And also an interview with uh, Jordan Skyder of China Talk, a very popular uh, podcast covering China on uh, Kalani's own podcast, Compounding Curiosity, right? <laughs> so, right, just let me show it to you. So, uh, so this is the link. Private sector governing. Right, so uh, Jordan Skyder, China Talk. So, uh, this also gives you a lot of insight into what... Uh, uh, Evergrande, uh, China's economy look like post Evergrande. Uh, but yeah, I think that's it. Uh, thanks, Kalani. I really enjoyed this session. Oh, thank you, Aaron. I think it's yeah, it's yeah. cool to try new things. So, oh, I've really enjoyed it. So, I appreciate your time today and yeah, your massive effort. So, thank you. I appreciate it. Uh, love to have you around again. Bang. Have a good Have a good day. Recording stopped. Ooh. All right. <laughs> nice. Nice.
it's, di- it's different, eh? Video, like yeah, no, it's definitely different. It, 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 it's an entirely different form of media. So it's yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. What do I do? Just give me two seconds. 